Hey everybody, this is Sensei Anthony coming to you with another episode of the Karate Chronicles. Rolling and recording on Thursday. Um, what the heck the day? November the... I want to say 15th. Yes, 15th. <clears throat> okay. Now, let me apologize to you, my peeps, because I did a half-hearted job with my last podcast. Not because I didn't want to do better. It's just that I was exhausted. And I felt that since it was because the 25th anniversary of mixed martial arts in America as we know it, that I wanted to present a podcast, right? Because I felt like this is kind of legacy. Like this is one of those kind of podcasts. I'll look back and go, oh yeah, this is where he spoke on the 25th year. But I was so exhausted. I did not feel coherent. So I apologize for that. And if I can't speak on something the way I like to speak on it, then I'll just keep my mouth shut until the next day or something. I, I, I owe you better than that. And that's my apology. I won't do that anymore. So let me step back and speak on that, okay? 25 years ago, the United States in large was um, awakened to the realization of certain fighting theories that have existed long before that, but it was the first time it ever actually came through, right? For example, for the people that think that mixed martial arts was something new, there was actually a competition in the 70s. I think Mr. Worley, Joe, oh, shoot. Anyway, in the 70s, it was called the World Series of Fighting, which ironically, there was a mixed martial arts league that came into existence some, you know, almost 50 years later with the same name. But the idea was not new. Who would win if? And for the sake of for the sake of progressing this conversation, I won't go nuts on what was first what was the first iteration of this because the fact of the matter is the Ultimate Fighting Championship was the first eye-opening for Americans at scale. And the reason I say that is because these competitions existed before in ways that were actually pretty popular. Um, in 1964, most notably... Judo Jean LaBelle fought a boxer named Milo Savage, boxer versus grappler, right? And Jean LaBelle won using techniques that the Gracies made famous later. Take down clinch, mount choke, right? Here's the thing. Even before that, there was an organization in Japan called Shuto, which, while it did have different rule sets. It was not as um, not as open in terms of what techniques were allowed. The idea was there. And uh, a couple years after that, there was an organization called Pancrase, 
which had different rules, but it was most most definitely a mixed martial arts competition. As a matter of fact, one of the competitors in the first UFC, Ken Shamrock, had competed in Japan like four days before, and then flew to Japan and uh, flew from Japan. All this kind of stuff. It was crazy stories. Like some of you youngins don't understand how raw and how serious mixed martial arts competitions were and the competitors for next to no money, right? But let's get it straight and let's keep it real. Ultimate Fighting Championship was the pioneer for most Americans in terms of mixing style versus style and the competitive format with the least amount of rules so that no one could say that I would have done better if I was able to do X. And it was a success. I think it did like 300,000 buys with no pay-per-view. It was just straight up uh, advertising in magazines, right? It came from Odeon Gracie with an article in Playboy back in 89. Blah, blah, blah. I could go through that. But I'm going to leave that up to you. If you want to know more, I'll put you in. Because your boy got the info. I've known Gracie's. I've known other fighters with fog races. I've known the, some guys from the original fight camps in America. So on and so forth. No big deal. I ask me, I'll hook you up because some stuff you can't find on Google. For example, two bonus points if anyone can mention who was the first Olympic wrestling medalist in the UFC. It's not who you're thinking. Anyway, so what have we learned really? We learned in 1993 that most Americans had no idea about the grappling arts. Some of them knew about judo at the local Y or even legitimate dojos, but almost all of these schools were focused on the competitive sporting aspect, which while they have a lot to offer, removed them in a significant way from the way self-defense judo was taught by the founder of judo. When they became a sport in the 60s, the founder of judo himself said, this is not the judo I created. And you can argue about that. I'm not gonna. So, Americans learned that grappling was an effective and formidable system. I say grappling. I'm gonna go ahead and start with Brazilian jiu-jitsu because it was Brazilian jiu-jitsu which ruled the day early. Not because jiu-jitsu is a better art than other arts. It's because the people that brought art to America had six decades of practice in these types of competitions. And don't get it twisted. There was no one they had faced in that competition that they were not familiar with in some capacity. Hoist was the delegate because it was his turn, as the Gracies said later. But he'd been training his entire life with a family that had trained this way their entire lives. And on top of all that, Hoist was one of only two fighters in that competition, which you would consider full-time fighters. Hoist taught and fought for a living. That's all he did. Some of the other competitors competed as well, but only Hoist and Ken Shamrock were full-time fighters in the way that we think of it now, right? So, Americans have their eyes open. My cousin went to the original Gracie Academy in Torrance. 
And he said he remembered it being like six to ten people in class. And it was rough and tumble. Man, it was serious. And they trained and all self-defense oriented. Between the first Ultimate Fighting Championship and the second, the size of the school quadrupled and they had to get a bigger space. And then again soon thereafter. Because after winning three of the first four Ultimate Fighting competitions, people were convinced that all their training was for not in the striking arts. And if you really wanted to learn how to fight, you had to learn how to grapple. Now, keep in mind that up until this point, striking arts have been saving people and protecting people every single day. Let's keep in mind that the very first match was striker versus grappler, and the striker won, convincingly, knocking out two of his opponent's teeth, breaking his nose, so on and so forth. All this stuff. So, let's just go ahead and think, let's just gloss over that for a moment. Americans were open to the notion that if you wanted to learn how to fight, you had to learn how to grapple. And that if you wanted to learn how to grapple, you had to learn it from a Gracie. At that time, there are only Gracie family members who taught jiu-jitsu. So you had to learn Gracie jiu-jitsu as known then, and you had to learn it from a Gracie. And you guys have heard me talk a thousand times about there's no best style, there's just better stylists. The Gracie family had a formidable art with preparation, and there were some things that were definitely skewed in their favor. I'll get more into that maybe another day, but let's stick to what we're talking about. The Gracies showed that there is a system in place that would allow a smaller, weaker man like Hoist to subdue a larger, more muscular, striking opponent. And really, if you think about it, one of the things that that brings people to the martial arts is the idea that a smaller person could defeat a much larger, more muscular person. Never mind the fact that striking arts have been doing this for centuries. People had never seen it played out that way, in a way that they could point to and name and do all this kind of stuff. So people were impressed by this, and it was impressive. You had representatives of stylists, which, to be honest, there are some questionable stylists out there. These are just fodder for grapplers, okay? They didn't have an understanding yet of what grapplers were trying to accomplish and how they accomplished it, how they accomplished it. All the wild grapplers had very, 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 very clear knowledge about how to employ their skills against the striker who was unprepared for them. Again, stylist, not the style. And the grapplers ruled the roost. Competitions one, two, three, four, five, six, all won by grapplers. And it wasn't until Ultimate Fighting 7 when a Brazilian fighter named Marco Huas came that the idea of a truly well-rounded fighter came into the fray. By this time, the Gracie family had checked out, claiming that the rules that they had implemented were providing them or preventing them from being able to fight in a way that guarantees a winner, so on and so forth. Marco Huas came along and used strikes, grappling, and a whole lot of things that had never been seen in that kind of competition before that. And excellent footwork. 
he was a solid grappler without being a Gracie Jiu Jitsu stylist. Like, he was kind of a iconoclast because even though people spoke about the idea of mixing styles to achieve the best quote unquote style, no one was really doing it at that time at the level of Marco Huas. And then after Marco Huas, he had all these guys coming up with their own names to kind of speak to the fact that they trained in all the arts and covered all the angles. 3D fighting, um, all this kind of stuff. Shoot fighters were coming into prominence out of the Lions did. The Shark Tank, all these guys were mixed, uh, Pat Militich, the, the um, Militich fighting system, all of these things speaking to the fact they were mixing arts in a way that would make them more formidable and best equipped to handle whatever situation they encountered in the fight. Now, I could go into the details about the movements of the grappler, the submission grappler, then the wrestler, and then the striker who learned how to defend against the grappler. And then it became a question of who is in better shape because you learn the value of that and all these kind of things. I can go into that. And I may do it in bits and pieces at a later time. But the thing that I feel compelled to speak about is where have we gone from that point? Where are we now? We're at a place where next to no one believes that a single art is sufficient to defend themselves in today's world. Even though boxers have still knocked out people in fight, karate, karate stylists, taekwondo, judo, jiu-jitsu, single art stylists have defended themselves before and will continue to defend themselves without mixing arts, without meshing skills. And the reasons that's possible is because no matter what your art is, and I use art loosely, if you are able to employ that skill against a resisting opponent, then other arts aren't necessary. Gracie's one by employing a tried and true method of clinch, takedown, and control before they hunted the submission. But even that theory began to change as the art grew more popular. At first it was 95% of all real fights end up in a clinch at some point, and then the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu practitioner controls the clinch, brings the fight to the ground, and then they can employ their magic from there. And then as the Gracie train rolled on and popularity became 95% of all real fights go to the ground. Now, it was so effective as a marketing technique that people began to speak it as if it was scientific fact, but I know for sure it's not. Anyone who's ever been in a place where there's significant um, fighting going on knows that's not true. But the, great, the Gracie propaganda was strong and it was effective. So, it glossed over the fact that one, that wasn't true, and two, there's quite a few situations where grappling is not your best idea. Multi-fights, for example, multi-opponent encounters. And there's no real art that can perfect the way that they engage multiple opponents or an opponent with a weapon. But you certainly want to be on your feet and moving than tangled up with someone. And as the cracks in the theory began to show, 
people began to run to the mixing of the arts. And that's great. I love learning martial arts. So I learned some jujitsu, some judo. Like, I just wanted to know what they had to offer. I've studied with uh, Muay Thai boxes, all this kind of stuff. But don't get it twisted. I firmly plant my flag in Kempo Karate. Not the Kempo that's most commonly put out there because most schools, not just Kempo schools, but most martial arts schools in general, are McDojos who do not deliver on their promises. So I plant my flag in the ground and I'm happy with that. I personally believe that because the climate of mixed martial arts has gone so far to the pro wrestling model to make money and create stars, not martial artists, I believe that the world will come back around and realize that that's not what they want to do because what's happening is people are just fighters as opposed to martial artists who know how to fight. Again, there are a lot of fighters out there instead of martial artists who know how to fight. If you're a mixed martial arts competitor, practitioner, whatever, and if you don't own a school or train people, what is it offering you as a person internally? What do you do? Do you know why mixed martial artists will likely abandon training at some point in their life? It's because everything they do is focused toward fighting. A martial artist has forms, kata, philosophy, all of these things to study, and legitimately so, within the confines of what they do as a martial artist, a true martial artist. Fighting is very limited in terms of what it can offer a person in the long run. It does not offer, it cannot deliver what traditional martial arts can. So let's look around at martial arts today. Where have we gone? We've come to the notion that it's not a bad idea to have rounded skill sets. It's a great idea. But I think people, while the marketing machine plugs on and claims that mixed martial arts is more popular than ever, I think they're realizing, the public at large, that a lot of these guys are just knuckleheads who fight. They're flipping each other off at weigh-ins. They are calling each other names. They're insulting each other's faith, their family, their country. And I call that appealing to the beer and pretzel crowd, right? It's been said that nobody will ever go broke appealing to the lowest common denominator. And H.L. Mencken <clears throat> famously said, no one has ever gone broke underestimating the intelligence of the American public, right? Think about that. You will always make money with the lowest common denominator. And what I believe we're seeing in the mixed martial arts world is the perpetuation of lower common denominator thinking. We're not producing martial artists. We're producing bros. We're producing people that talk about how you don't need to train in the gi. We're, train, we're dealing with the whole generation of fighters who claim that katas are useless, that claim 
that the traditional martial arts training is useless. Now, keep in mind, this is regardless of the fact that several traditional martial artists have annihilated mixed martial arts competitors. Um, Steve Wonderboy Thompson, before, uh, before him, uh, Lyoto Machida. Um, there are so many truly traditional martial artists that have done well that they're somehow looked at as anomalies. They're somehow looked at as different than the norm. Outliers in the way that they were effective. The fact of the matter is, there's not a single martial art or not a single technique in mixed martial arts training that did not exist before from a traditional martial art. That's where they draw their techniques from. People want to learn Muay Thai, for example, from mixed martial arts because the arsenal is simpler. Front kick, roundhouse kick, elbow, knee, punch. And this is not a knock against Muay Thai. I respect it as an art if they are studying it as an art. The way people act in Thailand is way different than people that come here and act. Here, they don't learn the white crew. They're usually 99% of the time they're not Buddhist and they don't adhere to traditions like prayer and meditation the way most real Muay Thai boxers do. It's the striking arsenal for dummies. They don't want to learn the side kick, the hook kick, the crescent kick. They don't want to learn any of that stuff. The low high roundhouse, the whipping the dragon's tail, none of that stuff. They just want to learn how to kick butt, bro. And Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? They don't want to train in the gi because they feel that people rely too much on it. No, it's just more difficult to get good overall in a gi. Wrestlers love no gi grappling because they can muscle their way and use their explosiveness to get out of techniques that normally they wouldn't be able to get out of, right? That people want to use wrestling, and I love wrestling. I love all these arts, really. But it doesn't have the complexity of some of the other grappling systems. It doesn't have the nuance at scale that some of the other martial arts have. And so people want to do what's the easiest for them. They want to cook their food in a microwave instead of a crock pot because the goal is singular. They want to be able to fight, not become martial artists. And I think that's where we are now. In the future, this may sound as an outdated reference, but look at the way Conor McGregor acted versus Khabib Nurmagomedov. Conor was a loudmouthed, boorish, just stereotypically Irish idiot. Khabib was a quiet family man who was a devout Muslim and did not talk trash about his opponent. Didn't swear at him, didn't call him anything that spoke ill of his nationality or his character. And look what happened. They promoted the heck out of Conor McGregor because he appeals to the beer and pretzel crowd. They didn't do anything to promote Khabib, even though he was an undefeated champion who up and up into that fight had never lost a single round, much less a fight. So with the martial arts competitions these days do, the mixed martial arts competitions have done, despite their claims of inclusion, they've actually drawn that line that I love to be on the traditional side of. When this is all said and done, I will stand on the side of traditional martial arts because traditional martial arts have remained classic, timeless. Where do you stand on it? I will stand on the side of tradition because a traditional martial artist like Khabib manhandled and ragdolled Conor McGregor. And I think some people will miss the point 
that is always substance over sizzle, right? You want the cake and not the icing, really. I plant my flag on the side of traditional martial arts, and I hope even if you enjoy watching mixed martial arts competition, that you do as well. Anyhow, I have spoken my piece on it. I'd like to think a little better than I did before, but um, I'd love to hear your comments. Definitely call me if you can let me know who the first Olympic wrestler, not Olympic alternate, not Dan Sever, the first Olympic wrestler medalist was in Ultimate Fighting. No fair using Google. That's cheating. WWW points if you can tell me what fight camp he came out of. Anyhow, you guys have a wonderful evening. Check me out at martialartsoakland.com. And by far the most important thing, please be kind to yourselves and each other.